Father, we are so grateful for your mercy. Who of us could stand without it? None of us could stand without it. But we thank you that you love us so much that you want to bring us to yourself and cleanse us from all our sins. We praise you for that. We praise you, Jesus, for what you did to purchase that for us. We love you, God, and we pray now that we would listen to you as we hear from your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In our passage today, Jesus says, Do not judge. Now, so often we hear people say, Oh, you Christians, you are so judgmental. You look at the things that we do, that the people of the world do, and all you do is sit up there on your perch and look down at people and judge them. And it says in your Bible that you are not to judge. Churches often get this reputation. People often don't want to go to church because they think, Oh, the people there will just look down on me. So let me ask you this question. Should church be a judgment-free zone? Now let me ask another question. Are there some things that are just plain wrong in life? And if so, what should be done about it? Now in many ways, I have been looking forward to preaching on this passage because I think that Matthew 7.1, where Jesus says, Do not judge, is perhaps the most misunderstood Bible verse in the whole Bible. I've heard lots of other Christians and pastors say that same thing. And if it's not the number one, it's probably up there somewhere. One of the most misunderstood verses in the Bible. It says, Do not judge. What does that mean? Well, before we get into explaining it, let me give you an illustration here. Let's say you're, uh, you're walking at service food there and uh, you're, you're about to cross Union Avenue at the stoplight and you see uh, there's an old lady and she's walking and she's blind and she has a cane and she just doesn't know where she's going. And you see another man walk up next to her and he starts walking her across the street. And you're thinking, oh, what a nice thing for that man to do. But then as you see this man walking this old lady across the street, you notice that this old lady has a $20 bill that's just kind of dangling out of her pocket. And you see this guy who's helping the lady across the street just kind of reach over and grab that $20 bill and put it in his pocket. Is that wrong? Yes, that is wrong. Okay, can we just, can we just say that you should not steal money from old blind ladies? Okay. <laughs> that is wrong. Okay, so how does that fit? Did I just judge that guy for doing that? That was a hypothetical scenario. But did I just judge him for stealing that money? No, I, I, okay, okay. You're, you're, you're ahead of me already here. But what I've tried to do so far is I've tried to show you this tension between what Jesus says, do not judge, and between this idea that we sometimes see people do things that are wrong. And how should we interact with them? Now, one option would be to say that we should never say that anything is wrong. Is that what Jesus meant when he said, do not judge? Well, I, I don't think so. And, and by the way, we're not just going to get my opinion on the matter today. We're eventually going to look at Jesus' words and see what it is that he meant when he said them. We're going to study his words. But one option would be to just say, okay, he says don't judge, so we should never say that anything is wrong. Well, parents, how would that work for you at your house? Do your kids ever do anything that needs to be corrected? Should we just let our kids do whatever they want to do? I think Adam Sandler had it. Yes? Okay. Yes? Okay. Thank you for saying that. That reminds us of why we need to have parents who say, 
No, you can't just have ketchup for supper. I think there was a movie about that once. They let the kid do whatever he wanted. But, uh, I don't think that's what Jesus meant when he said, do not judge. I don't think that he meant that we should never say that anything is wrong. Um, so before I get into telling you what I think this passage does mean, I just want to clarify what it doesn't mean. I don't think that do not judge means that we should turn a blind eye to evil. I don't think that do not judge means that we should look at somebody who is doing something evil and say, oh, that's fine. Go ahead and keep doing that. I don't think that we're called to be morally neutral in this world. I, I think that Jesus must mean something else when he's talking about do not judge. In fact, in the last verse of our passage today, it's assumed that we are going to be able to figure out who the dogs and the pigs are. And in order to do that, we're going to need some discernment. And that means that we have to assess the actions of people sometimes. And, and let me make this point by actually showing you a, a much harsher portion of the Bible. In 1 Corinthians 5, Paul is writing a letter to the church of Corinth, and he talks about this guy who uh, was committing sexual immorality with his father's wife. And, and what does Paul say? Does he say, oh, don't worry about it, that's fine. No, he says you should not stand for that sort of a thing in your church. In fact, in, in verse 5 of that passage, he says, hand this man over to Satan. And, and what he means by that, I think, is to establish church punishment there. Kick him out of the church in, in hopes that he will repent. But it sure looks to me like they made a judgment there, and like Paul was actually calling them to tell them something that was wrong. But again, to a lot of people, that looks and feels like judgment. So how do we square that up with the fact that Jesus said, do not judge? Well, let's look at our passage today and figure this out. Matthew 7, verses 1 through 6. We're going through a sermon series here at Cornerstone. We're looking at Matthew chapters 1 through 7. And we're in the Sermon on the Mount now. That starts in chapter 5. So this is Jesus' longest recorded speech. And we're going to read verses 1 through 6 of chapter 7. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and then turn and tear you to pieces. Okay, so I've already shown you one thing that I think do not judge doesn't mean. What I want to do now is show you two things that I think do not judge does mean. And my first point then is that do not judge means do not condemn. Okay, do not judge means do not condemn. Now in my first point here, I'm suggesting that the word judge includes two parts. First, there's a part of discerning between good and evil. And then second, there's this part of handing down a punishment or a sentence. That's what judges do, right? Let's say that you get a speeding ticket and you think that for some reason uh, the cop was wrong and you, did, you weren't actually speeding. Let's say that you want to go to court and fight this one. Well, you would go and you would present your case before a judge. You would say, no, 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 I wasn't doing it. Something was wrong. I was watching carefully. And what would the judge do then? Well, first he would make a discernment did you actually break the law or not? And then second, he would hand down a verdict. And if the verdict is that you are guilty, he would also hand down with that a punishment, um, some sort of fine or something like that. Now, I've already told you, 
in regard to us. It's not wrong for us to do that first part of judging, that, that discerning part where we assess the difference between good and evil. Now, again, think about this in regard to parents. There, or in life in general, there's lots of times where we have to assess between good and evil. So for parents, let's say that your, your daughter has stolen a toy from your son and in return your son has hit your daughter. That, that would never happen, I know, in any house here. But, uh, would it happen in our house? I, we'll just leave that alone. But let's say that that has happened at your house. I would suggest that you should probably figure out what went wrong there, assess, and, and probably even hand down a punishment if there is something there. So again, that... That, that first part of judging, it's right for us to, to figure out what was wrong. And even that second part, uh, the handing down punishment, is something that we're supposed to do at times. But I think it's that second part that Jesus warns us about here. When he says, do not judge, I think he's warning us to realize that there is a, a line between punishment and condemnation. So it's good and right for us at times to hand down a punishment, but I don't think it's right for us to hand down condemnation. And, and maybe you might think I'm splitting hairs there, but what I'm trying to suggest to you is that we are not the final judge of things and that we are not the ones to hand down the final sentence. In James 4.12, it says, There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. And in case you're confused about that verse, it's not you, okay? We are not the final judge and we are not to claim to be able to take God's position of, of handing down that final sentence, and especially not that, that final condemnation of people. Eventually, God will judge the whole world and everyone in it. Romans 14.10, it says, For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. All of us. Uh, I, I believe that's actually us Christians as well. It's in 2 Corinthians 5 that we're all going to have to give an account before the judgment seat of Christ. So, since we are not the final judge, we are not to pretend now to give a sentence that God will give later. And here's the reason. When God judges, he looks at the heart. And we're not able to do that perfectly. Now, yes, it's good and right for us to figure out if an action was evil or good. But, but we shouldn't pretend that we can look into the heart and see motives purely. So I think the, the judging that's okay for us to do is that judgment of saying, I think that according to God's standard, that was wicked. But it's not okay for us to do these sorts of things like to say, you're such a wicked person, and because of what you did, you're going to burn for that. That's the sort of condemnation that we are not to hand down because it is not our place to do that. Now, on the other hand, I think it might be right for us at certain times to say to a person, what, what you did there was wrong, and I believe that God has shown us his standard. And actually, I believe that God warns us that, that people who reject his ways ultimately are, are in danger of the fire of hell. But, but there's a difference between that and between casting down that condemnation. I think we just have to be careful not to, not to cross over into what is God's territory of judgment. And actually, I think one other helpful tip on this um, comes from a theologian named Craig Blomberg. He said, our purposes should be constructive. So if we come to a point where we need to make a judgment about something that's right or wrong in the actions of somebody else, our purpose shouldn't be to, to you know, 
rub their face in it and say, you did something wrong. Our purpose should be to say, I think you did something wrong, and I think that maybe you might need to repent of it. Our purposes should be constructive. So we can judge actions, but we shouldn't condemn. It's God's role to either save or destroy. And that's why I think 1 Corinthians 4, 5 says, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait till the Lord comes. Again, there's this, this judgment from the Lord that will come later. And let's think about that judgment for a moment. Again, every one of us is going to have to give an account to God for our life. Now, that can be a terrifying thought. And and for me, the thought that comes along with it is, I know that I have sinned against God a lot. So when he says that I'm going to have to come and give an account before him, that could be a terrifying thought. But fortunately, and, and this is where the Bible is just so wonderful, Our judge is also our Savior. Jesus Christ came that we might be forgiven of our sins. God knows all that's wrong about us, but God loves us anyway. And Jesus Christ came, and although he did nothing wrong himself, he took our sins upon him and died for us, so that anyone who receives Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord can have complete forgiveness of sins. It's this wonderful transaction that God in love wants to take place in our lives. So, and it's actually even, even greater than... The, I mean, the gospel is so wonderful and I can't even begin to explain the, the marvels of it here. But think about this. Think about a courtroom setting and God's the judge and we're on trial and the question is, are we righteous? I look at my life, I look at the things that I've done wrong and I know the answer to that. In and of myself, I am not righteous. I am a sinner. But because of Jesus Christ and his righteousness, and because in his mercy God has drawn me to Jesus, and I place my faith in Jesus Christ, the, the righteousness of Christ is actually credited to my account. And in that courtroom setting, God looks at me and says, not only not guilty, he says, righteous. And that is for anyone who has Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. It's the beauty of the gospel message. His righteousness credited to our account. So yes, there's a judge, but for us who have given our lives to him, we will stand in judgment. Romans 14.4 says that we, we will stand because the Lord is able to make us stand. We don't stand on our own. The Lord is able to make us stand. Okay, so just a little bit of application on this point then. We are not the final judge God is. And because we are not that judge, we are not to condemn. Yes, we are to discern between good and evil, even in regard to the actions of others. In fact, Jesus said in Matthew 18:15, if your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault just between the two of you. You hear that? The same guy who said do not judge also says go and show him his fault. We're actually supposed to help people engage with their sin in hopes that they will repent. Again, we're trying to be constructive in that. So if a Christian brother or sister comes to you with a word of rebuke, I hope that you would listen. It's so easy for us to, to, to get defensive about it, to try to say, you know, oh, no, 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 you got it wrong. Here's how I'm going to justify myself in this. Or we, we turn it back on the other person if they try to convict us of a sin, we might say something like, well, what about you? I've seen you do this and this and this. Or we might just look at that person and say, you're so judgmental. But I hope 
that we would be humble enough to say, if there's anything that's wrong, I will think about it and I will pray about it. That's where I want my heart to be as I interact with, with other people about my sin. So let me summarize this first point by saying this. Just because we say someone has done something wrong doesn't mean we condemn them. God is the final judge, and sometimes we go to them in hopes that that they would repent because God in his mercy allows us time to repent. So we do not condemn, but we should seek to help other people in their struggle with sin. Okay, then let's move on to the second point. Do not judge means don't be a hypocrite. Don't be a hypocrite. Okay, in my first point, I was just looking at the word judge, but in my second point now, what I want to do is I want to show you verses 2 through 6. And I want to show you what Jesus' words are there. Okay. Uh, Well, in verse 1, Jesus says we shouldn't judge or we too will be judged. And then verse 2, For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you used, it will be measured to you. What does verse 2 mean? Well, it means that when you judge someone, you should realize that you can be held to the very same standard. If somebody lies and you say, you're such a liar, you've proven that you know what a lie is and that you can be held to that same measure of judgment. But in God's eyes, who knows everything, the judgment or measure you use will be used on you. So we need to be careful about the measure that we use in judgment. It's easy for us to point out the faults in others, but have you noticed, and I think we all have, that oftentimes the things that we point out in other people are the same things that we struggle with ourselves. Maybe it's just because we're better at recognizing those things. Oh yeah, I've I've done that. Hey, you did something wrong. What about me? Romans 2, 3 says, So when you, a mere man, pass judgment on them, yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? Then I love the next three verses in our passage. I want to reread them. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Now, I told my four-year-old Lydia about these verses, and I was explaining, what if I came up to you with something big in my eye, and I said, here, let me help you with that little teeny thing in your eye? She just got this big smile on her face. She said, no, the the big thing should come out of your eye first. Isn't it great how, I mean, I think that verses 3 through 5 could not be more clear. And, And here's just a tip on reading the Bible. If you come across a verse that's unclear, Read the context. So often it helps. So verse 1, like I've said, is perhaps one of the most misunderstood verses in the Bible. Yet verses 3 through 5 couldn't be clearer. And I think that verses 3 through 5 help us understand what Jesus means. And, And what Jesus is saying then is, look at yourself first. Don't be a hypocrite. And by the way, the translation here is pretty accurate. It really is talking about a guy with this log or this plank sticking out of his eye trying to say, let let me help you with that thing in your eye. It's it's this ridiculous scene, yet how often do we go about living our lives like that, pointing out the faults in others and not looking at our own hearts? Obviously, we should deal with the plank in our own eye first. But again, it's so easy for us just to look in the faults of others. Now let me give you an illustration um, I would say from everyday life, for me it's maybe it's everyday life, maybe not for you, in the area of sports. 
Have you ever seen a referee make a bad call and get mad at them? Okay, I, I want to see a show of hands. Who here has ever been mad at a referee for making a bad call? Okay, okay, thank you for your honesty. Now let me ask this question. How many of you have ever been a referee who has made a bad call? Uh, I'll raise my hand for that one. I, I, the very first time I was ever given a whistle was in basketball practice. I think it was like sixth grade, and, the, and our team was scrimmaging, and the coach said, Eric, why don't you referee? So uh, there were two guys fighting for the ball, and the ball went out of bounds, and I, I pointed my hand this way. And then the guy on the other team who was going that way, he said, no, it bounced off his leg. And I, I replayed it in my mind, and like, oh yeah, he's right. So what did I do? Did I say, I'm sorry, I was wrong? It goes, nope, I just said, my call is that way. Even though I knew I was wrong, I stuck with my call. And, you know, that's just one analogy of thousands that we could probably come up with in our own lives. Uh, we're so hard on other people sometimes, yet there's so much stuff in our own lives that we should be dealing with first. There's a word for people who walk around with planks in their eye and, and point out the specks in other people's eyes. It's called hypocrite. The word hypocrite means actor. A hypocrite is somebody who is pretending to be somebody else. And here the hypocrite is pretending that they don't have a plank in their eye. So when Jesus says, do not judge in verse 1, what he clearly means by looking at verses 3 through 5 is that we must be willing to examine ourselves first. And what that means for us is that we should be willing to repent of our own sins. Now, don't misunderstand. It's not that we have to be perfect first before we can ever help anybody with their sin. In that case, we'd never be able to help anybody else. But what I think Jesus is saying here is that we need to be willing to live lives of humility, always willing to repent of our own sin, always willing to take the plank out of our eye first. Repentance is such an important deal in our walk with God. Repentance and the humility that comes with it, it, it's a must in our lives. We need to be willing to say to God, God, show me if there's anything wrong in my life. And when he shows us something that is wrong in our lives, we need to be willing to go to him and say, God, I am sorry for that. I confess that to you. And then from there we ask God to forgive our sins. And praise the Lord he does. Isn't that one of the great things about our God? He forgives our sins. He knows all about it. He doesn't just look at us and say, oh, you get away from me. He loves us and wants to cleanse us. That's why he sent Jesus Christ. Because God wants to forgive our sins. So we confess our sins, we ask for God's forgiveness, and then we ask for God's strength to walk in the right way. If we've been walking on a path that we shouldn't have been, we ask God for the strength to turn around and to walk on the right path. That's what repentance is. And my encouragement for you would be to repent at least daily. Uh, I've got a set time in my day where I just, I just stop and I say, God, if there's anything that I've done wrong today, please, please show me, please forgive me. Now, I was thinking about that and thinking, you know, well, now I've made it public that I do that. I was thinking somebody who hears that might say, Eric, why are you such a pessimist? Why are you so hard on yourself about your sin? Come on, don't you think that... I mean, you're a pastor. Don't you think that you're probably a little bit more righteous than other people? And you know what my answer is to that? I'm just being realistic, and I'm trying to be humble. I'm just trying to recognize that I offend God probably more often than I realize. 
And I just want him to be able to speak into my life about my sin so that I can recognize it and confess it and be cleansed and then go in the right path. And that's what I want for all of us to do on a consistent basis, to be humble and to repent, taking the plank out of our eye first. So getting back to how verse 1 is so misunderstood in our day, I want you to look at verse 1 in light of verse 5. Okay, so in verse 1, Jesus says, do not judge. But then in verse 5, he talks about how we are to see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So again, we don't turn a blind eye to evil. However, unlike the hypocrite, we are to look at our own sin first and deal with it, and then we go and help others. But clearly, when Jesus says, do not judge, he also has in mind this idea that we would help people with the specks in their eyes. The deal is that we're not to do it as the hypocrites. We're to look at ourselves first. So we don't just mind our own business. Isn't that what the world wants us to do? Mind your own business, you Christians. It's none of your business, what, whatever, whoever does, wherever. None of your business. Actually, I don't think that's what Jesus says. And truth be told, I think that even we Christians sometimes want to use that, that line of thinking. Mind your own business. You have your own stuff to deal with. Don't tell me about my stuff. But that's not what Jesus says. Jesus says that first we're to take the plank out of our eye. So yeah, we look at ourselves first. But as we do that, as we live that life of consistent humility and repentance, we are to help people with the speck in their eye. And like I said in my first point, I want to be open to that kind of correction from my brothers and sisters in Christ. Christine and I read a book in our engagement, and one of the ideas in that book was that a spouse might be the best person to help you see the things that are wrong in you. Now, a a spouse obviously has to do the same thing Jesus said here, look at yourself first, take the plank out of your, your own eye. But then God has, for those of you that are married, God has blessed us with a spouse that's like a mirror to help us see some of the specks in our own eyes. And I hope that we would be open to that sort of correction from our spouse. And actually... Uh, for some of you, you're saying, yep, my, my wife's really good at that. She's loving, she's gentle, she helps me. Others of, you, others of you might be thinking, that's the last person in the world I want to get help from. <laughs> I didn't need a show of hands on that one. but uh, <laughs> and, and it doesn't just apply to spouses, by the way. It actually probably applies to anybody who's close to you. But God has given us each other so that we can help each other with the specks in our own eyes. Remembering first, to deal with the planks in our own eyes. So getting back to our passage, we're to deal with our own sin first and then help others with their sins. But how does verse 6 fit in then? Verse 6 is another one of these tricky verses. I want to read it again. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and then turn and tear you to pieces. Now, just a note here. Dogs and pigs are not compliments. Dogs in that day were wild scavengers and pigs were unclean animals. So again, this is another difficult verse and honestly, I've had a hard time with this verse until this week when I really studied it in its context and I think the context actually makes it clear again. In light of verse 5 where we are told to help people with the speck in their eye, I think what verse 6 means is that there are some people who just will never want that help. There are some people that even if you were to come to them with the right motive, 
They would accuse you of having the wrong motives and they would attack you for whatever you say to them. And in those situations, I think what Jesus says is that there is a time where we, need, we may need to move on and stop pressing the point with them. Jesus told his disciples, remember, that they were, they were to go out and preach the, the good news of the kingdom. And he said, go and preach to somebody, but if they won't listen to you, shake the dust off your feet and go to somebody else. There may be a time where we have to say, you know what, this person isn't listening and I'm not going to cast my pearls before them. Now, there's a, a famous pastor, John Stott. He, he's passed away now, but he had a long ministry. And, and he wrote a commentary on this. And he said in, in his ministry, up to that point where he read, he could only remember one or two times where he treated somebody like that. He said these instances should be rare. That most of the time we should be dealing with patience, impatience with people like God does. But there may come a time then where somebody just won't listen, and it's clear that they won't listen, and we may need to treat them like this and not cast our pearls before them. Now, let me say this. Hopefully, as Christians, we would be willing to listen to a rebuke. Hopefully, we are not those dogs and pigs. The dogs and pigs are the sort of people that when somebody comes up, let's say that somebody comes up to you lovingly and gently and they've prayed about it and they've dealt with a plank in their own eye and they say, I, I think you have a speck in your eye. And you say to them, how dare you? That's what dogs and pigs do. And I hope that we're not like that. I hope that, that we're willing to listen to a rebuke from our brothers and sisters in Christ in love. Again, let's be humble. Um, in the next passage we're going to look at, verse 12 says, So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. Well, what I would have you do for me is to help me grow in my faith. So then, according to that rule, I should be doing that for you as well, helping you to grow in your faith. We do that with humility and in the lifestyle of repentance. But then we listen to each other when they come to us. Okay, let me conclude now by telling you how I think from this passage. I think this passage has to do with sins, like how my sins interact with you and how your sins interact with me. I want to tell you three things in conclusion how I think this, this passage shows us how to deal with sin. First, we should be looking at ourselves in humility, dealing with our sin in repentance. We should be getting, God, getting to know God so well that as we contemplate him and his holiness, we realize that sin has no place in our life. That sin should be like a stench. Uh, last weekend, Christine and I spent uh, a night in Fargo, and when we came back, we were in our kitchen, and we were like, what does that smell? Like, what is and so there was something that was obviously wrong, and we didn't know what it was. So what did we do? Did we just say, oh, forget about it, let's go to bed. I'm sure it'll take care of itself. <laughs> if it's a dead rat, it'll just get more dead. <laughs> no. No, we looked for it, and, and we found that somebody had left a cup of milk on the counter. And so right away, we just poured the milk down the drain, rinsed it out, put it in the dishwasher. We took care of it. And I think that that's what we should be doing in our lives. Sometimes there's something wrong in our lives, and, and sometimes we don't even know exactly what it is. We just notice a stench in our lives. And I hope you get good at noticing that. I hope you notice when something's wrong, when, spiritually speaking, the milk has turned sour in your life. And I hope you go to God and say, God, what is it? Show me. And when he shows you, I hope you repent of it. That's what it means for us to take the plank out of our own eye, and that's what we should be doing on a regular basis. And then second, when you see someone struggling with sin, have compassion on them. Don't condemn them. 
But in love, remembering to deal with your own sin first, then go and gently talk to them about their sin. Help them with a speck in their eye. Now this might be uncomfortable. It might be uncomfortable for you and for the person you're talking with. But I think that that's the kind of relationships that God has called us to. And again, some people would say, hey, you have no right to talk to me like that. But you know what? I think we do. Jesus tells us to take the plank out of our own eye first, then help each other with the specks in their eye. That's how God wants us to grow. Okay, and then third, if someone comes to you, talking to you about a speck in your eye, please listen. Again, this is where humility comes in. Um, let me say, I, I've said this before here, I'll say it again. I hope you're okay having a pastor who repents a lot, because I do. Now, yes, that means that I sin, but what it means also is that I try to take this posture of humility before the Lord and saying, God, I know that I do things wrong, and I want you, God, I invite you to show me when things are wrong. Now, think about that. If I'm telling God that I invite him to show me when things are wrong, how do you think that might play out? He might send somebody to tell me about it. And when God sends somebody to you to talk to you about your sin, how are you going to receive him? You know, when you, uh, you watch these old movies and they say an attack on one of the king's men is the same as an attack on the king. That's the principle here. If God sends somebody to talk to you about your sin, how are you going to respond to God in that moment? Let's be humble people willing to talk about our sin honestly with God. And if he brings another person to talk honestly with them about it. So if somebody says something to you, um, Again, my tip here, I've said this before, my tip, bite your tongue. Our human nature is going to want to respond. Don't attack. Don't justify yourself. Bite your tongue. And if you need to, go to your room, lock your door, and pray and say, God, here's what they said. Is there any truth in it? God, is there anything that I need to repent of? And if so, repent of it. We are not to judge others. We are not to condemn. But we are to help each other. So let's always be willing to take the plank out of our eye. And as we do that, let's help each other with our specs. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you that you love us so much that you not only forgive our sins, but that you also want to lead us in a better direction. And I pray that we would be humble people, always willing to repent of our sins. And God, for anyone who will join with me right now, we just come before you right now and we invite you to show us our sin that we might confess it and flee from it. God, we ask you to do that in our lives. And God, as we do that, as we live lives of humility and repentance, I pray that you would help us to help others with their sin, in love, with humility. God, I pray that we would all grow in our faith, that you would strengthen us into the people that you want us to be and that all of us would follow Christ with pure hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.